God's desire is for you to live a victorious Christian life. Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chappell gives us practical instructions on how to unleash the power of God in our lives. Some of you better get to the place that you understand you're not walking to the beat of the drum of the devil, but you're going to walk according to the orders of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you better get on your face and get with God in the morning, and you better have your devotions, and you better say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to treat my wife? How do you want me to treat my children? Get your marching orders from God and do what God calls you. Jesus faced almost every situation imaginable, and yet he refused to give in to temptation. In our series, Kingdom Living, we will learn what it means to unleash the power of God in our lives so that we can live the victorious Christian life. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. The world is obsessed with power, but the Bible reveals that the greatest power of all is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And now, here's Pastor Paul Chapel with part one of a message called, Jesus Threatened by Herod. Last week, as we concluded our passage of Scripture in Luke 13, we saw that Jesus had warned this crowd that had gathered to listen to him in this area known as Perea, and he had warned them that if they did not heed his teaching, that the result would be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, the fact is that Jesus Christ always produces a dividing line. There are always those who believe, and there are always those that reject. And for those that reject, Jesus had promised that there would be a day of judgment that would come into their life. He had challenged them that they should enter in at the straight gate, that they should recognize that straight is the way and that they should follow the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And about the time Jesus was teaching this uh, to this congregation, about the time that he had warned them concerning this weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth in verse 28, there were some who came in and they began began speaking to Jesus Christ, and they began uh, warning him about the threat of Herod Antipas. And the Bible tells us in verse number 31 that they said, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. It took place at the same day, the same time of teaching. Now, I don't know about you, but if if I was up here this morning preaching and and telling you what I'm telling you about Jesus Christ, and somebody kind of ran up here toward the front and said, You better get out of here because Jerry Brown wants to kill you. At the very least, that would be weird, if not unnerving, right? And that's about what happens as, as the Lord Jesus is teaching. Someone comes up and tells him that Herod wants to kill him. And we're going to learn in the message today that absolutely nothing was going to detour Jesus or deter Jesus from accomplishing his mission there in Perea and accomplishing his mission every day until he went to Jerusalem. I don't know about you, I'm thankful that I serve a faithful Savior. When we sing a song like, Great is Thy Faithfulness, we need to be mindful of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully fulfilled His mission every step of the way to the cross of Calvary. Now, sometimes we're not as faithful. And sometimes when we have a 
some intervention or some burden that comes into our life, we're tempted to quit along our journey. But one of the very basic things that I believe we need to learn about Jesus and learn from Jesus is that Jesus never stopped, he never quit, he had a mission, and he was faithful until that mission was accomplished. And that's what we're going to learn about our Savior this morning. So notice, if you would, if you have your notes there this morning, the plot of Herod. There is a plot that is unfolding, and we learn of it in verse 31, that Herod will kill or would like to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Herod Antipas was the tetrarch of Galilee of Perea, uh, where Jesus was currently ministering. This is the same man, uh, this Herod, who had rule over these areas uh, that had taken the life. He had beheaded John the Baptist. John the Baptist had preached against the fact that Herod had married his uh, brother Philip's wife, a woman by the name of Herodias. And John the Baptist, being the leather-lung Baptist preacher that he was, he preached against Herod for his sin. You know, we have many preachers today that are timid about mentioning the issues of the day, issues such as abortion, issues uh, such as pluralism, and this idea of kind of uh, defaming the name of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. If John the Baptist would have been preaching in America, he would have lit it up every single Sunday preaching against the error of the way in America. And uh, John the Baptist did that, and uh, this man, Herod Antipas, because of John's preaching against his sin, in, actually had him beheaded. And I'm just saying, church, you should not be shocked when a preacher from the Word of God preaches against the sin of the day. And John the Baptist was preaching against the sin of the day, but what he received for that was he was beheaded by Herod. And, and so when we talk about Herod this morning wanted to kill Jesus, I just want to tell you, he had a pretty good batting record at this. In other words, this isn't just a threat that would make you feel a little uncomfortable, he had already taken the head of the one that was the dearest friend, really, of Jesus Christ. He had baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Pharisees come running into this situation, and the Pharisees say, you need to get out of here. You need to leave Perea. They, they, they say this, you need to get out of Perea, and you need to get back over into Judea. Now, there's a very important thing I want you to remember about uh, this uh, statement. And what I want you to remember is that Herod had no, uh, uh, rather the Sanhedrin had no power in Perea to bring Jesus Christ into their court. Uh, the Sanhedrin's power was back over toward Jerusalem. And the Pharisees have an angle on this. They want Jesus to come back into Jerusalem so that they can bring him to their court. Uh, they can bring him before the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of the Jewish people. And they wanted to bring him back and into this area. And so they're, they're telling Jesus, uh, you need to leave Perea and go back over toward Jerusalem. We'll see that in just a moment. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that uh, these uh, Pharisees always had a little plot going on behind the scenes. And so we see the plot of Herod. Notice, if you would, letter A, the message of the Pharisees. The message of the Pharisees. And, and you need to stop and ask the question, why were the Pharisees trying to help Jesus? Why are the Pharisees saying, Jesus, you need to leave Perea and you need to go over here 
back to Judea and, and you need to watch out for Herod. While that may look like a friendly attempt to help Jesus, it really was just an expedient way to try to get Jesus out of Perea and back into Judea. And that's where we see, secondly, the motive of the Pharisees. Uh, you see, they wanted to get Jesus back into Judea. They were not really trying to help him. Uh, they had never sincerely listened to him. Uh, they were not uh, really at all interested in Jesus. They were not followers of Jesus. They were the enemies of Jesus. And so, frankly, anything that they said had to be held in suspect. And so we step back and we go, why are these guys trying to get Jesus out of Perea? And we realize that the Sanhedrin would be the ruling body that would ultimately, the chief of priests, complain uh, to Pontius Pilate. And ultimately, uh, their plan is to get Jesus Christ uh, out of existence, out of their hair, so to speak. And, and so the motive of the Pharisees was a motive that was not to help Jesus get away from Herod. It was to get Jesus back under the Sanhedrin. And, and they were not trying to help him at all. Uh, there was an incident years ago in the life of a British preacher by the name of Joseph Parker. And uh, Joseph Parker was preaching in the city temple in London, as it was known. And as he was preaching there, there was a man that came up after the service and he said to him, he said, Dr. Parker, he said, you made a grammatical error in your sermon today. And then he proceeded to point out the error to the pastor. And Joseph Parker looked at the man and he said to the man, and what else did you get out of the message today? You see, that is a good way to understand these Pharisees. Whenever they were around Jesus, they weren't trying to learn about his deity. They weren't trying to learn about heaven. They weren't trying to get better spiritually. They were always trying to find fault with Jesus Christ. And so when the Pharisees attempt or look like they're trying to help Jesus, just mark it down, they weren't trying to help him at all. They were trying to get him out of Perea. Uh, and the fact of the matter was that Jesus had gone to Perea to avoid the Sanhedrin, to avoid those Pharisees who were trying to take his life. And so they wanted to get Jesus back to Judea and ultimately see him murdered. You see, from the very first encounter that Jesus had uh, at the feast in Jerusalem in John chapter 8, it appears in Scripture that the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus killed somehow, some way. Look in your notes at John chapter 8 and verse 59. It says, Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by uh, John 10 31 says then the Jews took up stones again to stone him and Jesus answered them many good works have I showed you from my father for which of those works uh, do ye stone me verse 33 the Jews answered him saying for a good work we stone thee not but for blasphemy and because that thou being a man makest thyself God now now mark this down the, 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 the true cornerstone of our faith is Jesus Christ himself. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And, and at the cornerstone of our faith is the doctrine of the deity of Christ, that Jesus uh, is the virgin-born Son of God, that he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. So when Jesus preached that he was the Son of God, it angered the Pharisees. And that's why they wanted to kill him. And may I say, that is why men and women hate the doctrine of Christ today. Because Jesus Christ claimed to be, and indeed was and is, the Son of God. 
And you see, that principle, that doctrine is hated by millions of people on planet earth today. And it was hated by the Pharisees. And notice in verse 33 of John 10, it says, uh, they said, we want to stone thee for your blasphemy because thou being a man makest thyself God. Now you listen very clearly this morning. Jesus Christ, yes, he was man. He took the form of flesh, but he was not only 100% man, he was 100% God. He was the God man. And so uh, because of that, the Pharisees had a motive. And that's what I want you to recognize since uh, uh, we come to this passage today. The motive of the Pharisees was not to help Jesus escape Herod. The motive of the Pharisees was to get Jesus back into their jurisdiction, back where the Sanhedrin could bring accusation against him. Because the Romans uh, were going to have uh, the, uh, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, accuse uh, Jesus Christ, and then they would bring their power to be. And this is the motive of the Pharisees all the way along. And make note of the fact that all the way to the cross, Satan is fighting the Lord Jesus Christ every single step of the way. And so we see the plot of Herod uh, was certainly real. Uh, there, there was certainly a jealousy in the heart of, of Herod towards anyone that would gather a crowd like John the Baptist did. But we see under the plot of Herod, we see the Pharisees maneuvering as well. Now notice secondly this morning, the plan of Jesus. What does Jesus do? And before we study this next verse 32... I want to ask you a question. If someone came to you and said, you pray at lunch one more time and you're going to lose this job. If someone came to you and said, if you talk about Jesus after work with your friends like that, or uh, someone comes to you and says, you better stop acting the way you act uh, uh, with respect to the Lord. If, If a trial came into your life, If the rebuffing of Satan came your way, what would you do? Because understand me this morning that the same Satan that pushed against and tried to divert the steps of Jesus Christ is going to try to divert our steps every single day as well. And so let's learn from our Lord. Let's look at the plan of Jesus in this moment. Notice in verse 32, it says, And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox... Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Now, now listen, I, I don't believe uh, in watered-down paraphrases, but there, this one's just too much fun. I, I think Jesus says to these fellas, hey, you go tell that little fox I'm busy, and when it's time for me to die, I'll be sure to do it. But until then, he's not going to have any of his way. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, was not going to stop. He was not going to miss one single step of his God-ordained ministry. In fact, in John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. Jesus said, look it, I've got a job to do. Sometimes uh, I may be out witnessing, and Terry and I were out this past uh, uh, week uh, in a particular neighborhood and just passing out some tracks. Sometimes people are really friendly when I come to their door, and sometimes they are very unfriendly when I come to their door. But i got to tell you something. If someone mistreats me because I'm in the ministry of Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean I'm going to quit and not tell the next person. 
Why? Because I must work the works of Him that sent me. That's what our Lord teaches us. Jesus teaches us that in the face of such adversity that we must keep on keeping on. It's, it wasn't God's will for me to fulfill the Great Commission yesterday and until a difficulty comes and then stop. And Jesus was not here on this planet uh, just for a period of time and then if it got difficult to stop he said I must do this first Peter 1 20 says who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you in other words there there was an ordered steps for the Lord Jesus Christ there was an ordered pathway for the Lord Jesus Christ it was foreordained that he would come that he would live a perfect life that he would shed his blood on the cross of Calvary and nothing and no one was going to stop the plan of God how many of you are thankful we serve a God that is on a timetable today when God is ready when the trumpet sounds Jesus Christ will return mark that down the world will try their peace plans. The Antichrist will try his peace plan. But there will be no peace until the Lord Jesus Christ establishes peace. And just as Jesus Christ came in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. There is a moment marked when he will send his Son again. The Bible has prophesied it. And, and just as Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger, every step leading to the cross is ordained. And Jesus Christ is not going to be buffeted along that pathway to the cross. And so uh, he refuses to cower at the prospect of death. One of the great old Bible-believing fundamental preachers of yesteryear was a man by the name of Monroe Parker. And I heard him preach several times, and uh, he was a man that often would preach against the liquor. That was the issue of their day, and it's still a great problem today. I always, I always get tickled about politicians sitting at a table discussing the problem of the drug cartel while they drink martinis. I mean, the fact of the matter is that, uh, that any influence like that is, is something that is of a grave concern. And, and the old preachers in the turn of the century, back around the 1900s, 1920, 1930, in that era, they would often preach against the alcohol uh, problem, and, and uh, they would preach against uh, uh, booze, if you will. And, and oftentimes, when revival came and people got saved, these men would just give up their alcohol, and sometimes a community would go completely dry. And I'm not sure, but until recent years, and there may still be, until recent years, there have still been some dry counties in the South where you, it's still against the law to sell alcohol because if you traced it back, right back to those old revivals. And the fact of the matter is that Monroe Parker was one of those men that would go in, he would preach the gospel, and old drunkards, men that would booze it up and beat their wives and beat their children... Old drunkards would get saved, and when they got saved, they didn't want to drink that booze anymore. By the way, how many of you believe that there's such a thing as if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, old things pass away, all things become new? And one day, uh, when, when uh, Parker was going from one town to the next town on a train, a man jumped on the train, put a gun to his head, and he said, if you come to our town and preach this Jesus and get people to stop drinking booze, you're going to be a dead man. And Monroe Parker looked at that man and he said, Sir, you cannot scare me with heaven. And he went to the next town and he preached the same gospel and the, same, and the next town dried up to the glory of God too. Because I'm telling you, you don't help yourself or your family to live in such an inebriated state. And the fact of the matter is that there will be those who will try to dissuade you 
from telling others about Jesus, from standing for Jesus Christ. And, and, and so here we see that, that Jesus steadfastly goes about his mission. And so he gives a simple message back to Herod. And I like this very much. And, and sometimes I employ sarcasm, maybe even in my preaching, and hopefully not to a fault, and hopefully not in a disparaging way. Uh, but I believe what I see in the passage here, and you can study it out yourself, is what could be called some holy sarcasm when Jesus says, go tell that fox. I don't think he meant that in a complimentary way. Foxes are cunning and deceitful. And Jesus says, you go tell that deceitful fella that he's not going to have his way today. And, and he's telling the Pharisees, and you're not going to have your way today because I've got somebody to heal today, and I've got somebody to heal tomorrow, and I've got a message to preach. And when the time comes, I'll be in Jerusalem, but I'm doing what my Father wants me to do today. And I'm telling you this morning, there are times in your life when the devil tells you not to witness or not to tithe or not to forgive or not to love or not to do what God wants you to do. There are going to be some times in your life when you've got to say, get thee behind me, Satan. And you've got to tell that old fox, he's not going to trick you out of church. He's not going to get you out of the will of God. And so no threat or human authority could stop Jesus Christ he had a mission to accomplish in the region called Perea, and he was going to get it done. And he says, I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. In other words, uh, when I'm done, perfected, then I'll be done. But I've got things to do until the time of perfection, or uh, what that word really means here in the sense of perfected, he's speaking of completion. Sometimes in the scripture, when you read the word perfect, it is speaking of bringing it to its fruition, bringing it to its completion. And Jesus said, I've got some things to do, and, and then I'll be finished maybe around the third day, but I'm not here to walk to the beat of the drum of Herod. I'm here to walk at the steps that my Father has ordained to me. And some of you better get to the place that you understand. You're not walking to the beat of the drum of the devil, the father, the prince rather of this world, but you're going to walk according to the orders of the Lord Jesus Christ and you better get on your face and get with God in the morning and you better have your devotions and you better say, Lord, what do you want me to do, to, to do today? How do you want me to treat my wife? How do you want me to treat my children? How do you want me to act at work? And what do you want me to do on Thursday night and Sunday morning? And Lord, what's your will for me? Get your marching orders from God and do what God calls you to do. The television has marching orders, and, and uh, the union has marching orders, and the boss has marching orders, and, and if those orders are come to work at 8 and get, get off at 5, that's fine. But if they start trying to tell you how to think, and if they start trying to tell you how to worship, and if they start trying to talk to you about whether or not you ought to pray, listen, there comes a point in time in every man's life when he's got to say this, we must obey God rather than men. And that's just what we learn from Jesus Christ. He wasn't there to do the will of Herod, he was there to do the will of his father. And so, and he was going to do that until he was finished. Everything that Jesus did would be according to the prophecies that had been laid out. Thus, the word of Herod, the word of Rome, the will of the Sanhedrin would be powerless to stop Jesus Christ because he would do the will of his father. Notice what it says in your notes in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. It says, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Here in the later portion of Luke, when Jesus is rehearsing his ministry, he said, everything I told you, everything I did 
was that which had been prophesied in the Psalms and, and by the prophets and by Moses concerning me. And in verse 46 there in Luke 24, he says, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And so what we learn here is that Jesus Christ had a plan. He was on an unstoppable course. Jesus Christ had an unstoppable course. He would not be deterred from doing what God had called him to do. And not only was Jesus on an unstoppable course, but I want you to notice Jesus was heading for a certain crucifixion. You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you're interested in watching Pastor Chapel preach live during a Lancaster Baptist Church service, you can now log on to lbclive.tv Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. Visit lancasterbaptist.org for a list of times and other services. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chapel serves as a pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chapel's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today where you can listen to today's entire message, become a partner in the Word, and sign up for Pastor Chapel's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at paulchapel.com. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.